the the side that we're erring on is that the future is bright and that we're anticipating the new normal to be greater than what we had pre-pandemic. Welcome to Since Sliced Bread. I'm your host, Charlotte Ashley, editor of Baking and Snack. We all know that food service was one of those industries hardest hit by the pandemic. But in 2021, things are starting to look up for restaurants and other food service operators. In this season, we're checking in to see how the food service recovery is progressing and what the future holds for these critical bakery customers. This episode of Scent Sliced Bread is brought to you by California Prune Ingredients from Sunsweet. Sunsweet is your source for purees, concentrates, powders, and dices made with prunes. Give your food a taste of California. In this episode of Scent Sliced Bread, I got the chance to speak with Bill Quigg, president of Richmond Baking. Bill shared the company's unique experience of supplying cookies and crackers to schools when schools weren't open. We also talked about how the company changed production to meet increasing demand, especially once restaurants started making a comeback. Welcome to Scent Sliced Bread, Bill. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a pleasure. So to start things off, tell me about Richmond Baking's food service business. What segments of the industry do you guys serve? Primarily, our uh, food service division services schools for the most part, and then we mm-hmm. also service restaurants as well. So on the school side of the of the business, we make um, snack crackers and healthy snacks, healthy cookies um, that that meet the school guidelines for nutrition. And then on the restaurant side, we make restaurant style crackers that would typically be uh, given away with meals. So how those are two very different segments of the broad industry we call food service. How were these two sides, schools and restaurants, impacted by the pandemic? That's a great question because they couldn't have been more different. Um, Mm -hmm. When we uh, first heard about the fact that schools may close due to the pandemic, I met with all of the people that work here, which we call family members. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, a lot of our volume goes into schools and I hear they may shut down. So, um, I suggest you don't refinance your house. I suggest you don't go buy a new car this week because we really Mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen. And uh, fortunately, on the school side of the business, although they did shut down, we were able to pivot and do a lot of work for FEMA for the disaster relief side, which they were still routing through a lot of the school systems to hand out the free brown bag lunches to people. Um, So that business actually uh, increased and we had a significant growth period uh, during the pandemic. The flip side of that was the restaurants, because as you can imagine, I mean, it just absolutely came to a screeching halt. And we had some of our, our private label food service customers call and apologize. And they said, my goodness, we know we projected this amount of volume, but they, they literally didn't buy anything from us for months. And so wow. we were really fortunate to be able to balance those two pieces of our business out. Um, and so uh, since that time, though, as, as the pe- pandemic has progressed, the school food service side has really continued to grow um, as the schools reopened and as they refilled those pipelines, um, the volume has grown significantly. In fact, I don't think those pipelines are full yet. 
and the wow. restaurant business has in tandem grown as well. So we've seen it as sort of a double positive as it relates to that food service side of our volume. Let's dig in to the school food service side. Um, we have touched on this a little bit in this season, but I didn't realize you were working with FEMA. Tell me a little bit more about how those customers' needs changed and how the structure of that um, segment of the industry changed. Yeah, that was a really interesting dynamic because we had done some disaster relief work. I think when the Texas hurricanes happened a few years ago, um, we supplied some products. But but really, that business is uh, largely uh, conducted by companies that put together lunches, uh, whether mm-hmm. that be for schools or for for disaster relief. And so we, our customers, are actually the people that compile those lunches. So they may buy a juice box and they may buy a bag of our crackers and they may buy some cheese or something, maybe something more shelf stable um, and then hand those out. And so, so that business really just grew like crazy, but those are typically people that had been supplying schools, I believe. And then they pivoted to FEMA, which in, in turn pivoted us. And did you, did um, Richmond Baking have to make any changes to the way it packaged things or processed things to kind of meet some of those needs or was it just meeting capacity that needed to be met? Fortunately, we really didn't have to change much because a lot of our products were sold in what we would call bulk, so maybe a 300-count um, uh, case of, of individually wrapped products. And, and the products we were already making dovetailed perfectly into that market. So that worked out really well for us, actually. I know that for um, school meals um, for the past 18 months, they've been waiving meal pattern requirements and other waivers to kind of make things easier while we're in this crisis mode and just to keep children fed. How did that impact the business of school for food service? That's a that's a really good question because we've really seen ebbs and flows in that business. Um, and I'm thinking back to when President Obama mm-hmm. was in office. Uh, Michelle Obama had some initiatives for some healthy school nutrition programs, and that really caused a lot of upheaval in that. In that, the folks didn't know the school nutritionists didn't really know what to plan for because it seemed like the rules were changing pretty frequently. Um, and although that product line worked well for being a baked good, for being nutritious, for being whole grains, for being low sugar, low salt, products that we were already making anyway, it was still very um, confusing to people to know what was going to happen next and what to plan for. Um, And so the fact that they have waived the requirements didn't necessarily change the product mix that we were selling, but instead just gave people assurances that they could plan out further. And I think that's one of the things that's driven the demand back into the market has been that flexibility. So people were able to kind of look at their um, schedule and their plan and what products they need, and they were able to um, just plan more in advance because they they weren't so restricted. I think that's right. I think it gave the school nutritionists a lot more flexibility. Uh, so they could they could get the products that they wanted more on the schedules that they wanted. And, you know, frankly, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this as well, but due to supply shortages, they've probably had to really rely on that flexibility to bring in products that they may not have otherwise. Um, because certainly um, as the as the pandemic's going on and as different factors are are playing are at play here, um, we're really we're really seeing supply shortages as well. Yeah, I know in our um, interview with Mark Marcucci Jr. at Alpha Baking, he said that was something for them with the buns and the sandwich carriers for school food service was um, it allowed 
schools to be able to, that flexibility gave them more leeway when it came to ordering when supply chain issues became a problem. Yes, and I, I think that's true. And as I said, I still believe that the pipeline for the distribution into schools is still being filled. Um, and so mm -hmm. that flexibility, I think, is really important. We'll talk more about supply chain and labor um, later, but I do want to talk about restaurants as well. How did you see the needs of your restaurant customers change and how did Richmond Baking kind of pivot to meet those? Well, it, it's kind of an interesting balance because not only do we have the um, the the demand coming back for restaurants as they reopened and then some of them had to close and even with limited capacity, but, but our side of that business is very seasonal as well because we're supplying crackers to that industry. Mm. And as you can imagine, those are typically served with soup or served with, you know, chowder or something like that, which is going to be generally from Thanksgiving until February or March of every year. Um, and so then, so then you had those factors at play as well. And so um, I think that that's, probably caused a shift and I because we don't supply other areas of that market like buns or anything um, I'm not sure how that played into it necessarily but but certainly that was a it was kind of a, a an over demand if you will than what we would typically see just because restaurants were reopening at the same time that that seasonality kicked in um, and we're mm -hmm. seeing that again this year we're seeing very very strong demand on the restaurant side as the weather's starting to get colder as well that's awesome to hear. Um, did any of these changes on both the school and the food restaurant side kind of impact Richmond Baking's operations? Yes, we've had to add um, additional shifts wherever possible. So, for example, our operations run typically in, in our Kentucky bakery, for example, uh, four 12-hour shifts, so Monday through Thursday. And so then we added a weekend shift, um, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday shift. Um, just to try to try to allow for that demand. But you guys already are providing, like you said, a, a bulk product that's already individually packaged. So that wasn't necessarily something that you had to quickly pivot to the individual packaging. That's correct. That's correct. Was there any need to rationalize SKUs to kind of help meet capacity or... Was that not a problem for you guys? Um, instead of rationalizing SKUs, what we did was went to a rotating schedule. So the basically the way we schedule our products now is every few weeks we will make a like kind product. So say, for example, mm -hmm. every four weeks we'll make one type of cracker and then four weeks later we'll make it again. And that allows us mm -hmm. to combine all those um, production runs and like SKUs into one combined run basically so we can run for an entire week for example of one type of cracker which is obviously going to improve efficiency the downside to that and from the customer standpoint of course is if you miss that production window then you have to wait quite a while and it's a bit it's a bit wonky and challenging to get into that schedule initially but once we've gotten there it's really helped our productivity This episode of Scent Slice Bread is brought to you by California Prune Ingredients from SunSweet. Prunes are more than inclusions. Prune ingredients from California can help you make great tasting baked goods that are better for you. Adding only 1% to 2% of a prune concentrate, puree, or powder can bind moisture, lower total sugars, and reduce fat. Create your next product innovation with prune ingredients from California. 
what issues are you seeing out there for schools and restaurants and from your position as a supplier to these segments when it comes to supply chain, labor, new channels like e-commerce? So the, the main challenges that we're seeing, we don't do much on the e-commerce side, first of all. So sure. that's not necessarily a segment of our business. Um, at, at least we don't. I'm not saying our customers wouldn't because we do a lot of private label and um, contract manufactured work that are that may go through a different distribution channel that wouldn't be in our control. Um, as far as from a supply chain standpoint, most certainly the film uh, shortages and situations have been our biggest challenge. Um, and mm-hmm. really caused us a lot of delay as it relates to uh, when we're able to produce. And, and as I said, as we're working on a rotating production schedule, once we miss that window, we miss it. And so so that's been a real yeah. challenge for us. Um, certainly the freight issues as it relates to outbound shipments have been a challenge. We try to do a lot of live loading of our products. And so um, if we can have that truck timed perfectly to, to, um, to go to our our customers and their distribution systems that works great. But when it doesn't work well, we've got, we've got real issues in relation to that. Um, So those have been probably the two main challenges as it relates to, um, as it relates to materials and and freight. Um, And I would say certainly on the labor side, I mean, that's, that's not news to anybody that, that labor issues um, continue to plague, I think various industries, not just ours. And so um, that's certainly been a challenge as well. The um, production scheduling that you mentioned, is that, I know we've talked about in Baking and Snack, um, getting creative with production scheduling to kind of stretch labor. Um, Have you seen a benefit of that as well, or is it not applicable? It's very applicable. Um, And what we're really trying to look towards is what kind of models are other industries using that we can emulate? Um, we here in Lexington, Kentucky, we have an Amazon warehouse where they literally have flex scheduling, almost like as you would schedule an Uber, um, where they sign up for shifts and, you know, click if you want these hours and they do it in four hour blocks and those sort of things. We haven't gone to that yet, but I think that it's Mm -hmm. really been a shift in the, um, in the power structure, so to speak, between employer and employee in a lot of cases. And so where, where as before it was like, here's our production schedule, fit your life around it. We're seeing a lot of people say, here's my life schedule, fit your production around it, which is, <laughs> uh, it's kind of mind bending in a lot of regards. And, and I've been in the industry right. for more than three decades now. And, and it's like, wait a minute, how do we, how do we get to a place where this makes sense for everybody? Cause it's one thing if you're, packaging and shipping boxes in an Amazon warehouse. And it's entirely different if you have a, a production line that needs to start at 7 a.m. in the morning, right? So right. so that's, it, it, I've really challenged our staff and our, our, our whole family pride uh, HR group has really been challenged with how do we look at this whole labor situation from a different perspective so that it, so that it's really appealing. So let's talk a little bit. Um, what about supply chain for your customers? Are you seeing them like the like you're talking about the schools? Um, are I mean everybody is being impacted by the supply chain issues. How how are you kind of helping your customers with their supply chain challenges if you can? I mean we're all kind of strapped right now. You're exactly right, and and a lot of it has to just do with as much communication as we can possibly do with them, and and fortunately sometimes we have to have difficult conversations, um, mm-hmm. but even with that, 
um, you know, we try really hard to, to fulfill their needs wherever possible and, and do what we can. And, and sometimes, you know, we have to say, well, you know, we can give everybody just a little bit less of what they want <laughs> and, mm-hmm, and try to make mm-hmm. do that way. And that's, that's really the best way to try to handle it. I think, I mean, we're not, we're not perfect at it and I'm sure, I'm sure it's been challenging for some of our customers as well, but it's it, the, the, the issue is real for sure. So we've seen, you mentioned at the top of our conversation that um, both sides of food service that you serve, restaurants and schools, you're seeing growth in both of those um, segments. So where do you see it going from here? What changes do you anticipate are going to stick? What needs are going to remain? Um, is the future bright? I, certainly, I wish I knew. And And as we go through our 2022 budgeting process, we've had this discussion over and over. It is just so hard to predict because so much of what we do is capacity based, being a, being primarily a contract manufacturer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're always we're basically in the business of selling our capacity, right? And so, um, right. we 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 always have to have that challenge and try to figure out. But the the side that we're erring on is that the future is bright, and that we're anticipating the new normal to be greater than what we had pre-pandemic. Um, and mm-hmm. so while we understand we're still filling pipeline in a lot of cases, we feel like once that happens, we want to be in a competitive position to take on more volume. And so that's mm-hmm. really where we're positioning. And and frankly, looking, and, and again, to no surprise to anyone, we're looking at, as many companies are, at automation projects as well. Because, I mean, you know, if we if we could have another 30 or 40 people today, we would probably hire them. And so who knows when and if they're going to come back to the to the labor market. And we just can't have that kind of variability in our business model. Were there any other challenges that came from going? Uh, I know on the restaurant side of things, it kind of was at a hard stop and then a quick jump in demand. Was there any issues or challenges that cropped up in that? Or was the production scheduling you pivoted to kind of the solution to those issues? Well, because of the the balance we had between our school and our restaurant business, um, it was more as if we went from busy to really busy, <laughs> not necessarily okay. from <laughs> from stop to go. Um, and so that was that. I suppose that's a good problem to have. At least that's what I keep hearing. Yeah. Um, but so it wasn't so much. It was more incremental volume than it was necessarily um, trying to trying to restart the whole operation. What lasting impact do you think the pandemic will have on both schools and restaurants? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I I think the pandemic, from my perspective, has impacted the labor market more than I ever would have expected. And I think that's going to be its most resilient ongoing impact. I think the best I can figure it out, and I'm no psychologist, but the best I can figure out is that is that people ultimately are questioning the work-life balance in a real way. Yeah. And I think the question had been talked about before, but the reality is, um, you know, unless you have an appealing place to work, unless you truly treat people well and and unless you really look at the whole person not just the uh the work person um then i don't know how successful you can be in this ongoing labor market i think that there's going to be real issues with people and and really understanding and part of it probably is generational too i'd have to imagine 
but really just trying to evaluate how do they balance their work and their life. And when you have the opportunity to work for, let's pick on Uber for a second, but, but if I can say, I just feel like working four hours today and work for Uber and make enough money to pay my rent and, and eat, that's all I want to do. And maybe I want to go on a trip next weekend or whatever, you know, that on-demand mm-hmm. labor economy, it, it, that's a huge shift. And I think it was really exacerbated by the pandemic because people sat at home for weeks and then they thought, well, you know, that I can survive. <laughs> I can make this right, work and I can right. be I can be reasonably happy doing it. Um, looking forward, what is Richmond Baking kind of taking from this whole experience of supporting food service during this massive shift that we've all experienced. I think that I think that having some dry powder as it relates to capacity, we could have done a lot better job. And I think in the future we will do that. I think I think we uh, probably oversold our capacity to some degree going into the pandemic, and so we didn't really have the upside growth potential to be able to pivot quickly when volume opportunities pop up. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think that that's probably going to be a lasting impact. I think the other one, as I already mentioned, is automation. I think realistically, automation is, is going to continue to take jobs that, um, that folks may not want to do and that are hard to fill and, mm-hmm. um, and automate them. And so I think, I think that those are probably the two things that we're going to look forward to changing. And that's a, you know, that's going to take a while to do. It's not something we can turn on a dime for, um, but but right. something that um, that we will be evolving into as time goes on. Well, Bill, thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. I hope it's been helpful. Thank you for listening to Scent Sliced Bread. If you'd like to join the conversation, leave us a voicemail at 816 816- Or you can record a message using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email it to podcast at sosland.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Scent Slice Bread on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop us a review. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this episode, California Prune Ingredients from SunSweet. Always gluten-free and made of plants, California Prune Ingredients from SunSweet offer natural solutions for 21st century product innovators. Get more information or request a sample at sunsweetingredients.com. Scent Slice Bread is a baking and snack podcast produced by Taryn Parker and hosted by Charlotte Atchley.